0: We are now turning to God's word and so I encourage you to to sit up and to listen and and to just enjoy the fact that he has given his word to us as the great gift that it is and also to follow along which you can do inside your bulletin on the screen and of course in a bible if you have one we are in the old testament book of nehemiah in chapter 6 verses 1 through 16 hear now God's word Now when Sanballat and Tobiah and Geshem the Arab and the rest of our enemies heard that I had built the wall and that there was no breach left in it, although up to that time I had not set up the doors and the gates, Sanballat and Geshem sent to me, saying, Come, and let us meet together at Hakafarim, in the plain of Ono. But they intended to do me harm, and I sent messengers to them, saying, I am doing a great work, and I cannot come down. Why should the work stop while I leave it and come down to you? And they sent to me four times in this way, and I answered them in the same manner. In the same way, Sanballat for the fifth time sent his servant to me with an open letter in hand. In it was written, it is reported among the nations, and Geshem also says it, that you and the Jews intend to rebel. That is why you are building the wall. And according to these reports, you wish to become their king. And you have also set up prophets to proclaim concerning you in Jerusalem. There is a king in Judah. And now the king will hear these reports. So now come and let us take counsel together. Then I sent to him saying, no such things as you say have been done, for you are inventing them out of your own mind. For they all wanted to frighten us, thinking their hands will drop from the work and it will not be done. But now, O God, strengthen my hands. For when I went into the house of Shemaiah, the son of Deliah, son of Mehetabel, who was confined to his home, he said, let us meet together in the house of God, within the temple. Let us close the doors of the temple, for they are coming to kill you. They are coming to kill you by night. But I said, should such a man as I run away? And what man such as I could go into the temple and live? I will not go in. And I understood and saw that God had not sent him, but he had pronounced the prophecy against me because Tobiah and Sanballat had hired him. For this purpose he was hired, that I should be afraid and act in this way and sin. And so they could give me a bad name in order to taunt me. Remember Tobiah and Sanballat, O oh my God, according to these things that they did. And also the prophetess Noadiah and the rest of the prophets who wanted to make me afraid. So the wall was finished on the 25th day of the month of Elul in 52 days. And when all our enemies heard of it, all the nations around us were afraid and fell greatly in their own esteem, for they perceived that his, that this work had been accomplished with the help of our God. This is the word of the Lord.
1: Have uh, some of you heard of this man, William Wilberforce? Okay, uh, seventeen fifty nine to eighteen thirty three. Um, he was as privileged as it gets. He was born into a very well to do family in England. He was elected to parliament after being groomed at the greatest schools of the time. At age 21, he was elected to parliament. He was BFFs with William Pitt, who was the prime minister, and he had everything that you could want in that day and age. Um, He came to Christ through a friend at the age of 25. Now, a lot of times we think of like, well, that was the, the time of Christendom, and it was Great Britain, and so... Everybody knows about God, and yet it took a friend at age 25 introducing him to the gospel for him to come to know Christ. That's pretty instructive. You and I have friends that need to hear the gospel so that they can come to know Christ, right? That's not the point of the story, though. Wilberforce came to Christ. He converted, and he soon began to reflect on his life, and over the next couple of years, he made radical changes. He started giving a quarter of his income away to um, the church and to causes that advance the gospel, 25%. We only ask you to tithe, okay? He gave 25% away and he also looked back on his life and recognized just how very self-centered and lazy and um, grasping for glory that, that his heart was and he truly wanted to overcome that. He wanted to repent of it so much so that he thought about leaving his vocation as a politician. And he went to a pastor and sought counsel from this pastor to try to figure out what he was going to do with his life. And um, this pastor, his name was John Newton. And if you don't know that name, um, and if you've never been to church, you've heard of a song that he wrote. It's called Amazing Grace. So John Newton counseled him, and he counseled Wilberforce not to leave politics Uh, and go into ministry, because he he thought that the Lord could use him tremendously in that role. And that's also instructive, because you don't have to be in ministry to, to be a, you know, you don't have to be a professional Christian in order to have tremendous impact in the world for Christ. Does that make sense? So that's what Wilberforce did. He stayed in politics, and as he was thinking about his career and what he wanted to do, he came to this conclusion, quote, God Almighty has set before me two great objects, the suppression of the slave trade and the reformation of manners, which manners in in that sense was morals. So all he wanted to do was eliminate slavery in the British Empire and improve the virtue of the entire empire, just those two things. It's pretty aggressive and i want to point out that slavery in that day was just the common thing it was it, it, every virtually every civilization through history up until that point was a slave holding civilization it was not a bug in the system of civilization it was a feature and that's really important to note just as a sidebar American history is unfortunately tainted by the awful scourge of slavery and it was awful and we're still living with the consequences of that uh, but it's also important to note that America is not uniquely in that position uh, civilizations for a very very long time have held slaves and Wilberforce set out to eradicate it in the British Empire, it was, and, and it was all driven by his deeply held Christian faith. In fact, in the West, the reason why slavery has almost completely disappeared and actually out of darkness, you know, there's still sexual trafficking today, but by and large, slavery is gone. Why? Because Christians have committed to eradicating it because they believe it is wrong because we're all made in the image of God. So Wilberforce came to that conclusion in a very difficult time. I mean, can you imagine the difficulty of making that happen? Imagine the financial interests that would be arrayed against you if you were trying to get through parliament that slavery should be illegal. It was just... It it was impossible to to do. His life was threatened multiple times in his efforts. He lost many, many friends who saw him as just too myopically focused on this one issue. He was publicly slandered. His family life, and this is all apart from these efforts, his family life was very difficult. He was married to a woman who struggled deeply with depression, who had uh, all kinds of physical illnesses that were not healed. When he was 32, they lost a daughter, And he had his own physical ailments. He had gout. He was losing his eyesight. He had bowel problems. He had all kinds of obstacles and difficulties. And yet, and yet, three days before he died, on July 26th, 1833, Parliament voted to abolish slavery. Three days before he died. 46 years of effort, and he saw it happen Three days before he died that's William Wilberforce Uh, God's people have always always faced tremendous difficulties and obstacles in their efforts to be faithful to him that's just nor it's normal it's part of life being a Christian means that you are called to do difficult things to go out into the world to make an impact and to do it in the face of all kinds of obstacles can I get an amen to that it's not the happiest thought but it's true and it goes all the way back to the very beginning of God's people in Genesis 12 a guy named Abraham is called to leave his home God says Abraham I want you to leave with your wife Sarah and they were in their 70s at the time I want you to go I'm not going to tell you where but I promise you you're going to have kids and descendants and your family your descendants are going to bless every household in the world and he was in his 70s and didn't have kids And he went and he faced all kinds of difficulties and god's people have ever been called to be this this light in the world that shines the light of the gospel to the world that doesn't want to hear it a lot of times that is opposed to it that's opposed to the things of god that's just a normal part of living the christian life and when we get to nehemiah this is centuries after abraham I wanna give you a little bit of context because we're talking about this, if you haven't read the Bible, you have no idea who Nehemiah is. He, um, he shows up about 450 years before Jesus is born. And the people of God that started with Abraham, they've become this huge, mighty nation. And what they were supposed to do is point people to God through their upright behavior and through their worship. And do you know what they did? They did. They took it all for themselves and were selfish and um, did the opposite of what God intended them to do. And so, uh, after centuries of patience and warning and warning, God sent the Babylonian Empire to conquer the Israelites. And that happened in 586 BC. And they were exiled. And the temple, the place where God met with his people, was absolutely destroyed. It was a catastrophic event. Imagine a nation invading America and you having to go live in, I don't know, uh, Puerto Rico. Just came to my mind, I don't know. That's that's probably good. Siberia, how about there? Um, That would be bad. That would be hard. That's what they had to do. And then about uh, 50 years later, The Persians conquered the Babylonians, and the Persians, Cyrus, said, you guys can go back to Jerusalem. You can go back. So they went back, and it was in ruins. And then this guy named Zerubbabel, a priest, began to rebuild the temple, the very place where God met with his people. They needed the temple. And Zerubbabel rebuilt it. It took them 20 years, but the temple was rebuilt. But the place was still in shambles, and they didn't even have the word of God. And so a guy named Ezra came about 60 years later. He went to Jerusalem with, here's how you worship God. And I want you to know that today, also, there are right and wrong ways to worship God. I know that's unpopular. Like People think, oh, you worship God your way, I worship mine, I worship the, you know, say thank you to the stone for being a stone. And what the Bible says is, no, that's wrong. Don't worship that way. I'm going to tell you how to worship. That's why we do all the things that we do, because we're trying to follow what the Word of God tells us to do. And Ezra reinstated the law on how to worship with God's people but they still had a massive problem and what was that problem they didn't have a wall around the city and so their enemies could come in anytime they had no safety imagine living in your home and at any point in time enemies could come in and take your stuff and you know beat you up and whatever so they they needed a wall and that's where Nehemiah comes in in 445 445 years before Jesus Nehemiah comes to Jerusalem and he has one job his job is to rebuild the city walls, and it is a difficult, difficult job, and there's all kinds of opposition, and yet he keeps going, and he keeps going, and we're going to look at uh, four different things that happen in this text, and then we're going to try to relate that to our to the life of our church, but to you as an individual. No matter who you are, no matter where you are, the word of God has relevance, and my, my hope and prayer is that we'll speak to you this morning. Let's pray first. Father, thank you for um, blessing us. Thank you for bringing us here together. I pray that you would guide my words, and I pray that you would um, speak to every single person here. And I pray that you would open eyes and make dead people come alive by hearing the very words of Jesus, the words that um, are intended to save us. And we thank you for Nehemiah for his example. Lord, bless us as we walk through these things in Jesus' name. Amen. So our vision as a church is this, it's up in and out, it's very simple. We wanna look up to God before we do anything else, we wanna fear God, not people, we wanna fear God, not you know, whatever the circumstances are, and we want him to be first in our lives and in the life of our church. In does not mean we look within ourselves for truth, it means we look here, but we wanna build relationships as a church, We want to go deeply in relationship so that we can encourage each other when we're struggling, so that we can challenge each other when we need to be challenged, when we're walking away from the path of following Jesus, and and so that we can be joyful together. We want to build deep relationships. Why we have Bible studies? Why we have small group? And then out is what we're going to be talking about this morning. All of this is in service to going out into the world to make an impact in the world for Christ. So among our, our neighbors, our friends, in our community, in our city, and in the world and what we're gonna find this morning is God's people focus on the mission no matter what obstacles are in front of them, okay? God's people focus on the mission no matter what obstacles and they keep going, they don't stop. And so what are some of the obstacles that Nehemiah faces? Look in your scripture, pull out your scripture and you're gonna see a few different things. The first one is distraction in verses one through four. So you have Sanballat, Tobiah, Geshem. They've been in the text. They represent all of the other nations who are opposed to God's people. And they have been talking trash to the Israelites as they're rebuilding the city walls. You remember how Tobiah says, "Ah, fox got up on your wall, he'd knock it down. You remember that? Well, now the wall's been built, and it's actually able to, to stand, and they're getting nervous now because they know that means they can't pick on the Israelites anymore, and so they, they go to Nehemiah, the leader, they say, come and let us meet together, but, they, but, but it says, but they intended to do me harm, and I sent messengers to them saying, I'm doing a great work, and I cannot come down. Why should I stop the work while I leave it and come down to you? And they kept coming four times, and I answered them in the same way each and every time, There are so many things that we can be distracted by as a church. I mean, there are all kinds of things we can be distracted by, but we want to focus on the most Important things. There are things that we don't really, you know how the, the, the pressures of the world press in on you as a Christian, and you're like, like, everybody else believes this, why don't I just believe it too? And we just don't, we don't do that as a church. We, we, the things that are very simply, clearly laid out in the word of God, we believe. And then we also have a, do, do you know, have you heard of the Westminster Confession of Faith? It's an important document that explains what we believe. It's from the 1600s, and it is so rich. And I promise you, if you read it, you will be benefited, although you may have to read some parts over and over again because the language is challenging. But it is a a wonderful explanation of the theology of the church. That's what we believe. And those things really aren't changing. And we go out into the world with those truths, and we love people as we do it. Have, have you heard this phrase before? The church should not be a museum for saints. It should be what? Hospital for sinners. So it's not a museum for saints. We're, we're building a, a church building, as you know, and more on that later, but, but it's, it's coming up in the fall. We're gonna have it, okay? Broad enough, the fall, it'll be sometime. Uh. We're not building that so that we can stay nice and comfy. We're building it so that people will come who are broken and lost, and they, they will be helped. And, and actually, I heard this, um, or I read this just recently. A better way of describing it is we are the most bizarre kind of morgue that ever existed. You know why? Dead people come, and they leave alive. See, we want to see all kinds of dead people coming in and coming out alive. And how does that happen? Listen to me, okay? If you don't listen to anything else, listen to me right now. This is how you go from being dead to coming alive. It's the gospel. It's four very simple points. The first one is that God created you for relationship with him. He created you in his image to love, obey, and honor him and be in relationship with with him. That's the first point. The second point is you and I have messed it up completely. We have said to God, essentially, I love the gifts that you give me. Thanks for giving me life. Thanks for giving me my athletic ability. Thanks for the snow. Thanks for my career. But I don't want anything to do with you. Or maybe I'll call on you when things are really bad, but I'm not going to have you tell me what to do because I know how to do things my own way. All of us have done that. And you know what the result of that is? It's very bad. Because God is a just God. He's also a merciful God. He's a just God. And there is a payment for everything wrong that we do. Everything. God knows it all. He knows your deepest thoughts. He knows the actions that nobody else has seen. He knows it all. And there is a payment. That's point two. It's really, really bad. Point three points to God's incredible mercy. Because in that state of being Uh, completely separate from God, having no relationship with him, God sent the eternal son, Jesus Christ, into the world so that he would live a perfect life for us and die on the cross for us and pay for all of our sins for anybody who trusts in him and then he rose again victoriously. That's what Jesus did for us and so remember I said God is a just God. All sins will be paid for one way or the other. There's one way that they can be paid for, and that's by trusting in Jesus, and the other way is we pay for our sins eternally in hell, separated from God and all that is good. That's the third point, it's, it's quite heavy, but it's great news because Jesus came and he died on the cross and he rose, and the last point is simple. You must respond to this news. You can't just know it and say, oh, that's interesting. You either reject it or you receive it, and you can receive it right now simply by repenting of your sins and trusting in Jesus, by trusting in him for the forgiveness of your sins. That's the gospel. It's good news, amen? And we want to see people who are absolutely dead walk into church and walk out alive. It's a really strange morgue, but that's what we want to be. And and we don't want to get Distracted. It's so easy to get distracted. How about you in your uh, in your own life? What distracts you from a life that is lived for Jesus? For most of us, they're very mundane things that distract us. This thing, for instance. This little rectangular piece of glass. Have you ever noticed how much time you spend on it? Do you notice how you can be talking to a human being and a text comes in and you're like, "Eh, yeah, and then you're here. I mean, how, a phone is just a tool. It's a really powerful tool for doing a lot of things that are very helpful. But in the end, it's just a, it's a tool. You know what this is? It's a gram here. No, I'm it's a tool, it's a hammer, right? What what do you use it for? It's very simple. Can you imagine lining up at the Home Depot because the latest version of the hammer was about to come out? That's what people do with phones. It, you guys, phone like the next version, it's gonna do the exact same things, except for a slightly better camera. I'll, I'll spoil the, you know, spoiler alert. That, that's, that's all it is. And yet we invest, like, we could draw boundaries around just that one tool and be far less distracted. How, how about your entertainment? How much of your day is spent in entertainment? Entertainment's not bad. We, we all need to escape sometimes, and it's not bad. But if you are entertaining yourself for hours and hours and hours, you are wasting your life. What other ways are you Distracted, all kinds of ways. Nehemiah is absolutely focused on the goal, and the goal is to rebuild the wall. And so we go from distraction to distortion in verses five through nine. So that doesn't work. They they try to get him to come down from the wall. That doesn't work. So it says in verse five, in the same way, Semballat for the fifth time sent a servant an open letter, and the letter basically says. Uh, We hear that you Jews intend to rebel, and that's why you're building the wall. According to these reports, you want to become king, Nehemiah. And you've set up prophets to proclaim there is a king in Judah. And now the king will hear of these reports. The king was the Persian king. And if this were true, this would be really bad for Israel because the Persians would come and would um, completely destroy their wall again. And so uh, Nehemiah has no intent of doing this. He says, no such things as you say have been done. For you are inventing them out of your mind. For they all wanted to frighten us, thinking their hands will drop from the work and it will not be done. But now, oh God, strengthen my hands. Strengthen my hands. You know, as a church, um, there have been, I don't know if you're aware of this, there have been all kinds of distortions about our church that are out there. You know, and we've had an interesting 10, 11 years, we, we built a church, we left a church, we left the denomination, we rejoined another one, we had, we had all kinds of stuff happen. And there are some people who claim that um, we, we've done the things that we've done because we don't like certain people or we're against certain people. That is not true. It's a distortion. We love everybody and we want everybody to hear the great news of the gospel. Now, there are things about the gospel that are uncomfortable and unpleasant for um, sin- sinners like all of us. Okay, but we're not going to back off of the truth. But we do. We, we love people. That's a, that's a distortion. That that's simply not true. We believe the Bible is the word of God, and and we don't use it to hurt anyone. We use it to uphold the truth and to to strive very, very, in a very fallen way, but we're striving, we're trying to be faithful to what the Lord has for us. And um, we have this one-year goal. I want to show it to you, our 2023 goal. It's to joyfully steward our God-given gifts for outreach and care in our church and community. We're building a church this year. We're going to be in there. It's going to be awesome, amen? But we're going to use it Not um, just for our own benefit. We're going to use it so that we can have a generational impact in our community, our city, and our world. And you all are contributing to something that is going to reverberate for generations. And we're asking a lot of you, a lot of generosity. And it's going to have an impact, Lord willing, for generations where the gospel will be preached and where people will come to Christ. So if you're newer to this and you haven't, been part of this we want you to be part of this we we need your help but we're going to go out and we're going to joyfully steward the gifts God has given us in our church and in our community Um, there are plenty of distortions that um, I I think especially you who are younger who are in middle school high school you you in your 20s there are all kinds of distortions have you have you heard these phrases I want to know if you've heard these phrases you are enough you heard that That's not true, you're not enough, you're not. You need Jesus, okay? You're loved, but you're not enough. Have you heard of you do you? What a weird phrase that is, you do you. How about uh, follow your heart? How about be yourself? Those are all distortions. You wanna be the person that God intended you to be and it takes work to do that. It takes developing years of Patience and courage and wisdom and, and um, it's hard. But there are other distortions too. Uh, there, there are distortions that, that um, I think young people experience. It's not, it's, it's from the enemy. And it's things like this. You, you, you really, you can't do anything well. You know, why can't you be more like this person? Or why can't I, I wish I didn't have these struggles. I wish I was more like that person. I wish that person has it all together. I wish I was like them. And um, those are lies because you are loved more than you know. You are given grace and mercy. You have a job. You have a purpose in Christ, and it's a great purpose, and it's unfolding right in front of you, and it's so awesome to see you uh, students growing up and, and to see what God is going to do. So don't believe those distortions that your life is an accident and that you don't mean much. And I really want to encourage you about another distortion. This is specifically for you who are younger, okay? So middle schoolers, high schoolers, 20-somethings, look up, let me see your eyes, okay? I see you back there, Linden basketball team, I'm glad you're here, you're looking up. Uh, in your teens and 20s, you are told a distortion, and it is live for you. Go do what you want. Go have fun, make as much money as you can, go on these great experiences, hook up with whomever you want to, and just live freely because that is where the good life is. I'm here to tell you that is a massive distortion. And I, I want you to know something, okay? Raise your hand if you've heard of the US Constitution, okay? Do you know that the writers of the Constitution were in their 20s and 30s when they wrote it? Most of them. (laughs) That's a pretty good line on your um, resume. (laughs) You don't have to do that, but you ought to have a vision for your life that is beyond for the next 12 years of my life from 18 to 30, I'm just gonna do whatever I want and be entertained and go have fun. You can start to have a profound impact on the world when you are 18 or 19 or 20 or 30. Profound impact. And what you should be thinking about is how can I take on as much responsibility as I can handle? Have you you heard of the success sequence? It's very simple. Sociologists have recognized this as a way. If you wanna have a successful life, this is the sequence. Graduate high school. don't even mention college. College is great. Graduate high school. Get a full-time job. Get married, have kids in that order, if you simply do that, you will have a a successful, I'm not saying there won't be tragedy, I'm not saying there won't be difficulties, but if you just do those things in that order, then you will be able to have a life that, that flourishes. Did you know in 1960 what the average age of marriage was? For women it was 20, for men it was 22. In 1990, do you know what the average age was? For women it was 22, for men it was 26. You know what it is today? Move over here. 28 and a half for women, 30 for men. It it doesn't have to be like that. You can actually start thinking about who you're gonna marry really soon. That doesn't mean the Lord will do it, that doesn't, but have a vision for your life. I'm telling you, I'm old, I'm almost 50. And I promise you, the things that matter to me the most are the things about which I've taken the most responsibility, uh, namely my wife and, and my kids. So if you're young, have a vision for your life. Get going early. Don't wait until you're 30. Do it when you're 18. Start thinking about how you can take responsibility. Those of you who are here who are single parents, man, we, we love you. And it is a hard job to be a single mom or a single dad. And you need to give yourself a lot of grace, and you need to know that there's a church that wants to come around side, alongside you and support you, and just keep going with your kids. Keep, keep teaching them. Keep loving them. If you are married, your vision should be to have the best marriage you can, you can have. You know, uh, Leah and I, this week, we got away for a few days, and we read a marriage book. And I've been married 25 years and I'm not bragging about it, it's just because I'm remedial, because I need to read books still 25 years in. But you should be working on your marriage. If you have problems that you know uh, are, are going on in your marriage, then address them. By God's grace, address them. If you have children and they're growing up in your home, your vision should be that you raise them to know and love Jesus. It's much more important that they have Jesus when they leave your home than that they have a really good soccer career or a ballet career. I'm not saying that they can't coexist, they can, but there are times where you just have to choose, and, and you ought to choose Jesus. If you are retired or close to retirement, man, your life, this next chapter is not your own. It's not just all about you and spending all the money on yourself that you've saved for so long. Um, Although you can do that, like to some degree, it's great. But, but just, man, serve Jesus. We have so many retired people in this church who are amazing models of this. And I praise God for that. Amen? You know somebody who's older who's serving? I do. I know many. And I'm very, very thankful. There are distortions all around, and we ought to be aware of them, and we ought to, by God's grace, seek to believe the things that are in the Bible. Next uh, discernment. Nehemiah practices incredible discernment in verses 10 through 14 because the problem is here that there's a God, there's, there's a, a, a Jewish person who is telling him, come down off the wall. In verses 10 through 14, it says, let us meet together in the house of God within the temple. Let's close the doors, for they are coming to kill you. They're coming to kill you by night. Well, that was true. I mean, there, there were death threats on Nehemiah's life. And sometimes our fear is a good thing because it leads us to protect ourselves. I'm not saying fear is bad at all times, but, but here it was clearly fear would have been sinful. And Nehemiah says, no, I'm not doing that. Should such a man as I run away? And what, such, what man such as I could go into the temple and live? I will not go in. It, it, it said in verse 13, this guy was hired by Tobiah and Sanballat, his enemies, that I should be afraid and act in this way and sin so that they could give me a bad name. So he, he's, he's not daunted by this. And discernment is a very important gift that we develop over a lifetime. There are all kinds of paths that, you know, as a follower of Jesus, you could take path A or path B and you, you don't know what it is. We need discernment. We ask God for it. We seek out uh, wise counsel, but but discernment is very important here for Nehemiah, and it is for us as individuals. It also is for us as a church. Uh, we know that our vision is is clear up and out, but but within that, what do we do? How do we serve? What ministries do we support? Those all require discernment, and uh, we want to to be discerning with our lives. We know we want to go out into the world with the the gospel with our, our tithing, with our love, and we want to tell people the truth in a way that is loving. And um, how do we do that? We need discernment. We need discernment. And so we ask God for that as we seek to bring every area of our life under the lordship of Jesus Christ. And Nehemiah will not be slowed down. And he, he prays, remember, O God, these guys, bring justice to them because they wanted to make me afraid. We should not, there's nothing that we should fear more than the living God, amen? Nothing. And that's how Nehemiah is, finally. It gets done in verses 15 and 16. After all this time, all this effort, and it just took 52 days. They, they build the wall, and their enemies are afraid, not because they're, they're building some kind of weapon to attack they're just building a wall so that they can actually carry out the, the mission that God's given them, to worship rightly and to live according to the law. And it says they perceived this work had been accomplished with the help of our God. Amen to that. It was God who helped them to do it. And um, we're building this church. And Lord willing, it will happen in the fall. And um, I'm so excited about this. And there have been so many obstacles and um, we're, we're going to be in, and we're going to have this, this, not I won't call it permanent, but a very long-lasting mark in the community for the gospel. And why are we doing it? Not to build a wall, but to go out into the community and make an impact and make a difference for the gospel. That's how we will use this. It is for our community. It is to bless the world around us. And we will always keep this mission in front of us and focus on the mission no matter what obstacles we face. And so my hope is that we see many, many things that are incredible to happen in the, in the years to come that we plant other churches, that we disciple our kids deeply, that we invite all kinds of dead people in who come alive, that we have all kinds of events for the community, etc., etc. But we want to carry out the mission no matter what obstacles are in our way. And um, when is this done for us as individuals? When do we finish the work? Well, it's when we go to visit the actual morgue, right? Paul put it this way, I have fought the good fight, I have finished the race, I have kept the faith. He was at the end of his life. He was about to be executed. He's the greatest Christian missionary, and he was about to be beheaded by the Roman Empire. And he could say at the end of his life, fought the good fight, finished the race, kept the faith. We uh, often have very little control over what our race is like. You know, your race as an individual is different from yours. Is different from yours. Is different from yours. We all have like a vision for our life that we that we hope to see happen, and often that is not what happens. We have people in here in this in this place right now who have um, incredibly difficult family lives, who have terrible terrible illnesses that just came out of nowhere. Have deep, deep struggles in in marriages. And, you know, often we don't pick these things. All that we can do is run the race that God has given us and to do it as faithfully as we can. That's what we want to do as a church, and that's what we will, by God's grace, do as individuals. Let's pray. Father, thank you for bringing us here. Thank you for your incredible mercy, and you've, you've just, you're so, so good to us, and we pray that we would live faithfully for you. We're sorry for how woefully short we fall. We thank you for the mercy you've shown us in Jesus. Lord, I pray for every single person in this room who is not a believer in Jesus, that you would draw them to you even now, that they would repent of sins and trust in you. And Lord, I also pray for all of us who are are part of this uh, congregation who are brothers and sisters here. Lord, may we be in it for the long haul. May we serve and support each other. I pray for those who are hurting this morning. I pray that you would help them and bless them. Lord, we thank you most of all for Jesus. Thank you for his death his resurrection, and thank you, you don't need us. You, you don't need anything. You, you could literally use stones to cry out that Jesus is Lord, and yet you, you choose to condescend to use broken sinners like us. Help us to be faithful. And hear us now as we pray according to how Jesus taught us. Our Father, who art in heaven,